The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. God bless you all so much. I heard something this week that, uh, well, before I get into it, I guess I should just say, um, if you're visiting, and I know we've got many of those that are visiting, um, or even if you're just new around here, make sure you grab one of those Connect cards. I, I don't want to become the, the Connect card Nazi, but I, I do want to shepherd the people. And it's helpful for me when I know people's names. That is so helpful to me. And, and names are very, very difficult for me. So if you see yourself being here, calling this your church home, if you see this as the family of God that you'd be a part of, Make sure you're connected in that way, at least so that I don't have to ask you every week for your name. That's just so embarrassing for me. I feel so dull when that happens. But uh, God bless you all for being here and all those joining us online as well. I heard something this week that is terrible news for pastors. And the thing that I heard this week is that a goldfish has the attention span of about nine seconds. And the bad news is, is that humans have an attention span of about eight seconds. <laughs> But I certainly hope that you can outdo a goldfish this morning because you'll need to take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is where we'll be this morning. And this extended attention span beyond that of a goldfish will help us this morning because there's very much of a process, if you will, that we'll go through in God's Word to follow along in this. And I believe with all my heart that if, that if you take this message to heart and be fed of God's Word today, that it will absolutely change your walk for the rest of your earthly life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The assignment of a preacher is a very difficult one. It's a continual balancing act. You balance the needs of the flock, the barrage of new things in the world to respond to as a preacher of God's word, a preacher deals with his own sinful nature that he has to battle against, which Abby can tell you about all those things. Um, there's the stirring of the preacher's heart that God does occasionally with specific things out of his word to preach and, and to rightly divide the word of truth and to preach it with the proper tone. It's not just what the preacher says, but it's how the preacher says what he says. And it's a continual balancing act, and, and you add on top of that, the longer a pastor is with a flock, um, the love becomes more real and more deep-rooted. And, and I know that that has been true for me here at this church. I continually, with, a, I guess, a sense that I wasn't even able to have when I first came to this church, there's this sense now that I have that is I really want us as the flock of God to be prepared of, of God's Word, to know what it says, to know how to position our lives to so experience our Lord and to taste and see that he is good. I, I really deeply desire for this congregation to, to know what to do in the future and to how to walk. So perhaps it's selfish of me, but I'd like for all of us just to take a couple moments, um, just quietly in your seats, if you would pray for me, because I do want to rightly divide the word of God this morning, and, and I want us to be fed. So let's just take a few moments, if, if you would just pray quietly um, for me as I preach this morning. Jesus, your sheep are here, 
and we are ready to be fed by our shepherd. We're ready to eat what it is that you have for us to consume out of your word this morning. And we look forward to the nourishment that will come from being fed of your word. Father, help each of us to decrease that you might increase. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would shine a light on your word this morning. Bring it alive to us today, I pray. Your sheep are ready to be fed, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, and all the church says, amen. Brothers and sisters, from the Christian perspective, the world is in a mess right now. You can't send your kids to many schools without the sin of homosexuality being crammed down their throat. You can't go to many churches without the false gods of social justice and political correctness being worshipped. I know for me and other young men that I know, we fear, legitimately fear sending our wives and our daughters out into public to a grocery store even because of legitimate concerns of sex trafficking. You can't talk to many pastors without the sin being softened and redemption, redemption being cheapened. We live in a day and age where you can't even leave the Amazon box on the porch anymore. Otherwise, porch pirates is what they're called will come and steal them. Israel is at war with Gaza. There's threats of being forcibly vaccinated. People are getting imprisoned in places of the world where there was never this kind of persecution before. People are being imprisoned for going to church. The government is using much of our money, pretty much the same way it was in Jesus' day, the way that the Romans stole from the Jews and over taxation and all those things. We're experiencing that. And to, to top it all off, there's a gasoline shortage or a supposed one that we deal with. From the Christian perspective, the world we live in is a mess right now. Can I get a witness in this house? And there are two ways in which I believe that we could go about God's word to, to be fed this morning. To know what it is that we need to do to, to be able to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on in this world. And how we should position ourselves, how we should walk circumspectly in this world. I think there's two ways we could do that. And the first of which would be to take individual events that are going on in the world right now and apply scripture to them so that we can see them for clarity. And I think that would certainly help us wade through the marshy places in which we find ourselves in lives, in our lives. You take, for example, the lack of peace that's going on in Israel right now. And you wouldn't search scripture long before you would come to Luke 21 where it says, then he said, Jesus says to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. You could do that. And, and, and we, would, we would find comfort in knowing that Jesus said that nation rising against nation was going to happen. We should just expect as believers that those kinds of things will happen. Earthquakes, those things, I mean, check. You, you can put a check mark by nation rising against nation. You could put a check mark by earthquakes in various places. Uh, famines, we really haven't experienced famines in America, but we could probably expect that something like that could happen. Uh, pestilence, check. You could put that fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Maybe, maybe not, but we should expect those kinds of things to come about. Applying scripture to this specific happening in the world today would certainly give us some direction. You take this gas shortage that will be, will be about this summer or the supposed gas shortage. Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, But know this, 
that in the last days, perilous times will come. He, he says, literally, terrible times will come. We should expect gas shortages and other shortages. It, terrible times will come. It's just, it, it ought to be just an expected, ought not to be a surprise to the believer who understands God's word. But the thing that I think that would be more helpful for all of us this morning is if we zoomed the camera out, if we had a 10,000-foot view of, of really what's going on here. And there's many ways that you could look at this, but if we were to zoom out and see the larger picture of what's happening around us today, I, I believe we'll be fed of God's Word. So if you're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look to verse 3. This obviously is Paul inspired the Holy Spirit, writing this letter to Timothy, the young preacher. And he says there in verse 3 of chapter 2, 2 Timothy says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you say, Pastor Ben, what kind of hardship is Paul saying that Timothy needed to endure like a good soldier for Jesus Christ? Was, was Paul talking about disrest in Israel? Was, was Paul thinking about gas shortages and all the things that we're going through in the world right now that, that, he, that Timothy would need to go through? And, and I think certainly Paul would say to Timothy, yes, you're going to need to go through things like that, but I don't think that that was exactly what Paul was referencing there. I think it's much more specific. And here's the part where I think it'll be really helpful if you can follow along here and outdo a goldfish with your attention span this morning. It would be wonderfully a blessing to your own soul. So here's how I'd like to explain it this morning. Uh, how many of you, by show of hands, have ever heard someone say that history repeats itself? We've all heard that. And, and I believe that to be true. Not in the Eastern religion karma kind of sense in that if you are a good person, you'll come back in the earth as a better looking person in the next life. And if you're a crummy person, you'll come back as some stupid, ugly rat or something. I don't believe in history repeating itself in that sense. But what I do believe history repeating itself in the sense that God is the God who will not change. And that this sin nature, this Romans 3.23 sin nature that is inside of each and every one of us that that has also remained the same from Adam and Eve all the way until now. It has taken different forms. It looks different. We can sin on cell phones and Facebook. It was harder for Adam and Eve to do such a thing. But, but those two things, there's some things that are constant in those areas. And as such, you see some patterns. You see some things, because these elements are unchanging, you, you see some things repeating themselves throughout the course of history. And here's what I mean by that. Follow along with me. In Daniel chapter 3, there's the story that we should all know very well of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Israel is in captivity in Babylon, and the king was not a nice man. Let's just put it that way. And in, with the Israelites in this captivity, he builds this great big statue, and he, he orders that everyone, when they hear the music play, has to bow down to this statue and there were three boys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they had faith in God and this faith in God that they had caused them to live a certain way it caused them to do certain things and not do certain things and when it came time everybody there was this tyrannical government putting this law out there, everyone has to worship this thing, they rebel against it, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they're in opposition of this tyrannical government, they're seen as wicked, dangerous people. 
Because they're not going along with what all the other people are going along with. And they, you know the story. They wanted to kill him. They tried to kill him. And then God was there with them. You, you know that story well. God saved them out of the fire. But, but, but their lives were sought to be taken from them because they were seen as these rogue individuals that were a threat to safety. You fast forward just a little bit to Daniel chapter 6. And we read of the man named Daniel, the prophet Daniel, similar circumstance, he was actually still in the Babylonian captivity there, and it was outlawed that you could pray. And some of Daniel's peers with him were jealous of this excellent spirit that was inside of him. They hated Daniel, they hated the way that he prayed multiple times a day. And this tyrannical government, with this sneaky workaround, makes it such that it's illegal to pray. And then Daniel because of his faith, it caused him to do certain things and not do certain things. He goes then and he, Bible says, like he has from previous days, like he had from time past, he would go to his window and pray. And Daniel was seen as this rogue, dangerous individual because he was disobeying the king's orders. And therefore, he, his life was sought from him. But you know that story. The angels came and shut the mouths of the lions in the pit that they threw him in, thinking the lions would overpower him. And and this is not just a theme we see in the Old Testament. You fast forward to the New Testament. You think of John the Baptist in Mark 6, verses 17 through 29, when John the Baptist, who Jesus says was the greatest man ever born of women, the greatest prophet ever, and he was probably the most politically incorrect person out of the entire narrative of Scripture, and he calls out King Herod for the sin he was committing in taking his brother Philip's wife. John the Baptist says to the king, it's not right that you have your brother's wife in that way and and long story short his his life was taken from him he he was seen as this rogue dangerous individual because his life his faith he was going to do certain things and not do certain things because of his faith this tyrannical overpowering government had this thing there were people that went along with it to make it come about that they sought the life of john the baptist to take it from him you think of jesus those same elements were absolutely in play in Jesus' story as well. The overarching, overreaching, the tyrannical government that was there, and Jesus doing all that he did, and them seeking his life. It was all the same story. Now, here's some things to note about that are commonalities among all these stories. There was a tyrannical government. There were some people in support of this government agenda to suppress Christians. You think of Daniel, with, in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there were all the other Israelites that were, that were in cahoots with everything the government was saying to do to bow down and worship this statue. You think of Daniel and the lions, then you think of all the other satraps and the governors, the people that were his peers that were in support of, of seeing that Daniel was crushed because of this faith that he had. You think of John the Baptist, those elements are same true, tyrannical government, people in support, Herodias and all these other people in the story. If you don't know that story, you should really go read it today. And, and, and all those things were commonalities among all of those examples. And the other thing that was, interestingly enough, all also consistent among those stories is there was always a remnant. There was always a really small group of people that stood firm. It's also important to note that the reason this, these tyrannical governments didn't like these Christians, it wasn't explicitly because of their faith. It was what their faith caused that caused the government not to like what they were doing or what they were not doing. The life of a believer, their allegiance is to another. 
Their obedience is to another. Their worship is to another. Our efforts are to another. And that doesn't sit well. That butts heads with the tyrannical government that would say, worship this, do this, don't do this. You see that story. So when Paul says, Timothy, you need to go through these hardships as a good soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ, what I believe Paul was saying was that you're going to be seen, Timothy, as a wicked evildoer because of the things that your faith is going to cause you to do. And you have the entire narrative of Scripture to see the pattern in which those kinds of things happen. And I believe that Paul even affirms this if you look down to verse 8 of the text that we're in. And Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. You look at Paul the Apostle. He's another example. He basically faced the same type of opposition that Jesus did. Tyrannical government from both the Romans and from the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisaical order that there was there in that day. There were people in support of that movement, that government movement, to see that Paul the Apostle was chained to a wall. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Daniel, just like John the Baptist, that Paul was part of this very small remnant that was standing strong. So the question that this begs for all of us this morning, and our first point this morning is, will you follow Christ when it means that the world sees you as a dangerous evildoer? We must see this, that Paul was chained to a wall because he was seen as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, because the world saw him as dangerous. The world saw him as a threat, and as it was for all the other examples that we've mentioned thus far as well. And you might say, well, Pastor Ben, that was a long time ago. Christianity is different now. Christianity is accepted. People, people see Christians and think of good things. And perhaps in some ways, but I'm not so convinced that that's widely the truth for us to understand today. If you haven't read the book called The Hiding Place by Corey Tinboom, who was that Dutch watchmaker back during the Holocaust in the 1940s, her and her family were Christians. They were watchmakers. They were Dutch folks. And they lived during the Holocaust, and their faith caused them to, to live a certain way, which their faith, in this case, manifested itself in the fact that they would harbor Jews. They would keep Jews in their home. Because there was a tyrannical government that was there in this overreaching, wicked agenda that everyone else was kind of bowing down to and going with, but they weren't because of their faith that was causing them to harbor these Jews. And there was someone that was in cahoots with this governmental agenda. It was actually a fellow Dutchman who, who snitched on them that they were harboring Jews in their home. And the government sought to kill him because of it. Corey Tinboom, as a matter of fact, she watched her father and her sister die in the prison and the Nazi concentration camps because of what their faith had caused them to do. So you see the pattern spring forth there. And what I'm, what I'm here to tell us this morning, church, is I believe, I believe we're seeing these things stirring again. And here's what I mean by that. If you hold a biblical view of marriage today, you'll be canceled from most social media platforms if you believe in a traditional biblical view of marriage, which includes men, women, all of those things. 
And what, what's behind that? See it for what it's clear. And I'm not trying to read more into this. You be the judge. Open your Bibles and you be the judge for yourselves. But it sounds to me like there's a tyrannical government that supports that agenda that the social media platforms are also bowing down to. And then they seek to silence all of the people that are living a certain way because of their faith. YouTube doesn't cancel your videos because you say you believe in Jesus. YouTube cancels your videos because you say, I believe in Jesus and because I have this faith, it causes me to believe and not believe in some of these things, some of these Nebuchadnezzar statues that the world is bowing down to. I won't do it. And there's a remnant that is still remaining faithful. There's examples of this all around us, church. Churches that did not shut down during COVID. There was a government that was tyrannical and overreaching and making these orders, which our constitution alone prohibits them from even doing so. But even if our constitution wasn't there, we still ought to be gathering together as the church in obedience to God's word. And those Christians, there, there were people in support of that. In, in support of that tyrannical government overreaching movement to see that that thing was moved forward and the Christians that were faithful, the remnant that was faithful were seen as dangerous. They were sought to be silenced. They were to be canceled. The same pattern. Do you, are you following along? If you are, say yes. You see the pattern going along in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in the 1940s and even now we're seeing these things come about. Now look, if you will, back to verse 3 and following there in 2 Timothy 2. And it describes to us the nature of these kinds of people. What it is that Paul is calling these people to, what Paul is calling Timothy to be like. And it very well, I believe, describes these examples Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, Corthy, Tinboom, all these people that we've mentioned, I believe it describes these folks super well. Look there in verse 3, we've already read it. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the hard-working farmer must, first to, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all these things. If you believe that's God's word, say amen. The picture that Paul the Apostle is giving by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the pictures that God is giving to Timothy and I believe to us today, to the New Testament church, is the, 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 the illustrations, if you will, are, is that our faith ought to be like that of a soldier. Our faith ought to be like that of an athlete. Our faith ought to be like that of a hard-working farmer. Soldiers, athletes, hard-working farmers. And you think of the examples that we've already pulled from of seeing how this kind of persecution plays out. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, that is, talk about a story that was preached a lot when we were young as kids, but probably wasn't preached enough and still ought to be preached more today. When everyone else is bowing down, and I, I don't know, maybe the scripture tells, I don't know, I, I had to brush up on that, but I'm imagining there were lots and lots of people there, Israelites, in this Babylonian captivity, they were all bowing down to this statue, and there are three Hebrew boys whose names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're standing. Man, talk about faith like a soldier. 
standing there, and, and they even had the second chance. The king brings, brings them in, Nebuchadnezzar, and they explain to him all again as if they didn't understand what was going on. And he says, unless you bow down to this thing, you're going to get killed. You're going to get thrown in this fire. And, and they say, do it. We're standing. We've got this faith that causes us to do certain things and to not do certain things. And just because there's this overreaching government that's saying this thing, we're going to stand. We're not bowing. Even if you were to throw us in there, God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. They had faith like a soldier. If you're encouraged by that, say yes. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, praying at his window like he had from days past, the Bible says. Man, he was like an athlete. He knew it was illegal. He knew that very likely what was going to happen to him, but he goes and he prays like an athlete goes to the gym and trains every single day. He had faith like an athlete. You think of John the Baptist, most politically incorrect preacher of all time and also the greatest man born of women, Jesus says. He, and, and he calls out the king to say, Here, you're, it's not right that you have your brother's wife. That's a sin. That's, that is not right what you're doing. He was like a hard-working farmer planting seeds of righteousness. And when I take and I view all of that out of God's Word, soldiers, athletes, hard-working farmers, and you compare it to at least in America, I have not spent enough time in other countries to really know what Christianity is like in other countries to really be able to speak with knowledge about it. But at least in America, you compare these soldiers, athletes, hardworking farmers in their faith, causing them to do and to not do these certain kinds of things. And then you compare it to today's temperature of Christianity. And it's sad. And it is most sad among people of my profession, pastors, that have spine like jellyfish in today's world, that have been silenced by the media and silenced by all these fears. And it, it has made me angry this week and, and heartbreaking this week to know that, at least in America, it's popular in the springtime to have your, your fund drives for like your heartbeats and your pro life organizations. And you see churches around America, around Ohio, they're all, all over the place. And we'll be doing that shortly. I'll say more of that at the end of the service. But, but you see churches saying things, preachers saying things like, well, we support life and we've got to give this money and we have to help support this organization. And it makes me think to myself, yeah, but, but you rewind back to November and you didn't even have the backbone to be able to tell your people not to vote for someone who would support this wicked thing that you're trying to fund out of existence. You didn't even tell your people that you're not supposed to vote for people like that. What happened to, like, like it makes me think that maybe you don't really care about life in the womb and maybe you think about protecting your paycheck. When did this not become a calling for you where you don't care about the money? You care about what's right. And there's preachers, and I'll tell you what, there, there's people, I, I really don't understand that we've got all these views on, on our YouTube and podcasts, and there's, there's a good number of people that watch our stuff that we put out there that Travis takes care of throughout the week, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, who are all these people? I, because, like, all of the New Covenant flock for a long time now has been back collected here, and there's, I mean, I don't think I preach that good that all of you going home and watching my sermons twice. Hopefully you're not. I mean, God bless if you are, but, but I don't think that's happening, and there's all these people out there, and I'm thinking, like, man, who are all these people? And, and I just want to say, it, it's, you've probably heard it said before that so goes the pastor, so goes the people. 
And this same kind of jellyfish spine, unable, unwilling to stand up, unwilling to not bow down to this Nebuchadnezzar statue of the world today. And Christians have followed along with this nonsense. And, and this has been on my heart to share for months now. For all of you joining the live stream, whether it's YouTube or, or whatever, people that are not here present at New Covenant Community Church, there's a number of you. And I'm looking into the camera just in case they're watching the YouTube. There's a number of you out there, and I don't know your name. I don't know where you live. I don't know why you're listening to these sermons. The New Covenant flock is here. I'm not sure who all of you people are, and perhaps there's some pastors in that group. And what I would want to say to the pastors is stand up and be like a soldier. Stand up and be like an athlete. Stand up and be like a hardworking farmer. Don't bow down to this. If you care about life in the womb, you'll fund it and you'll also tell your people what they need to believe with that. What, you, what your faith will cause you to do and to not do. And, and for all the other people that are not pastors... The majority, I should say, the vast, vast majority of the New Covenant flock has been here. And there's probably lots of reasons why people are watching our online stuff, podcasts, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. But if it's because you have been gripped by fear, and your life is disobediently driven by fear, I love you enough to tell you that you need to look in the mirror today, and you need to have a hard conversation with yourself to decide how is my fear from this COVID thing still keeping me crippled at home? Is, is my faith reflecting that of a soldier? Is my faith reflecting that of a hardworking farmer and an athlete fearing, cowering at home? Look at it closely, dear friends who join us online. I'm sure there's some of you out of state, some of you that are bedridden, cannot get here. I understand those things. But there is no place to be fearful as a Christian being crippled by it. Your faith ought to mimic that of a soldier, athlete, and hardworking farmer. So New Covenant Community Church, will you follow Christ? Will you follow Christ when it means that the world sees you as an evildoer? Because many believers have already decided what the answer is to that question. And it's not a favorable outcome. Listen to the words of our shepherd. John 15, verses 18 through 24. The words of Jesus, these unpopular words of Jesus. Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep, your, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So as best I can tell, church, and you be the judge of this with God's word in your hand. As best I can tell, the, 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 the great movement along with the tyrannical, overreaching government movements, the people in support of those things. The world is completely happy with those folks. 
And you see their life on full display on social media, especially regarding this whole mask thing. And hear me, and hear me clearly. If your conscience has convicted you that the most wise way in which to take care as a steward of this Holy Spirit temple that God has given you to be the manager of, and you are convinced in your conscience that a mask is the right way to do it, wear one. Wear 20 for all I care. But here's the thing that you see on social media. You see people being straight-up bullies for this whole mask thing, straight-up bullying. And then five minutes later, they're taking selfies with their faces right next to their friends. And I'm thinking, man, Abby and I don't even get that close when we're kissing. How in the world are they doing it? Like, this is unreal. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, they don't really believe that this whole mask thing is the right thing for them to do for their health. They're bowing down to it so that everyone else is happy with them. And the world loves them for it. The world loves the politically correct preacher. The world's happy with them and all that they do. The world is happy with preachers that give all kinds of money to heartbeats. But don't say anything when it comes time to telling the deacon in the church that you can't support people that, that champion killing babies. Here's an idea. Don't let them be a deacon. Don't let them be in leadership. I believe that when you, when you love what God's love, you, you don't need to worry about the paycheck. God will take care of his own. The pastor must stop protecting their paycheck. It's giving them a jellyfish spine, and it's embarrassing. And I just want to say to anyone here that's not a believer, and there's probably a good number this morning, of here of people that do not believe in Jesus, and probably plenty of them online too, the picture that you've seen of a Christian is a pretty pitiful one, and I'm just really sorry about that. I'm sorry that the picture that many people are seeing as Christians, at least in America, is they're not seeing a group of people whose faith reflects soldiers and athletes and hardworking farmers. And I, for all the unbelievers here, it's me, I just, if I could give you any gift, it would be to show you that. It'd be to show you that in my own life, in my family's life, in this church, to see a group of people that have faith like soldiers, athletes, and hardworking farmers. But for those of you that are believers, and hopefully we've got lots of believers here this morning and joining us online, if you are a believer, you say, hey, Pastor Ben, how do we stand strong? How do we have faith like that, like, like farmers and soldiers and athletes? How, how do we have that kind of faith that Paul was telling Timothy to have that kind of faith for the trials through which he would go, which was to be seen as an evildoer even though he's not? How do you have that kind of faith? And I'm so glad you asked because it tells us there in verse 1, this is what actually Paul begins this chapter with. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're already there, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I hope you write this next point down this morning. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? As best I can tell from God's word, what it means to be strong in the grace is to have a strong awareness, a strong understanding of the truth, 
and experience with all of the things that are grace-filled that Jesus offers to us as believers. That you're strong in the grace of knowing that God owed us nothing, but that he in his wonderful mercy and grace came down to save us. That you're strong in that grace. That you're strong in the grace of knowing that you were completely lost. There was nothing of merit inside yourself. But Jesus, because he's good, because he loves us, and I'm not even sure why, because he loves us, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. You're strong in that grace. You're strong in the grace that the the death that he died was what we deserve. You're strong in the grace that his death, everything that happened, the grave, that was supposed to be us. And and we can have that as part of us. He's extended that offer to us. We can be strong in that grace. And that his resurrection and ascension to heaven were in his likeness. That when we stand before God, it's Jesus before us. If, If there was ever this picture of us standing before God and Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and and God looks at us and we're to say, by what merit can you come into my heaven that we could say, because of your boy right there, his name's Jesus and I'm all in him. I've repented of my sins. He covers me and he covers me completely. And Jesus were to say, yes, he was not ashamed of me before man and I'm not ashamed of this one before you because he is washed, he is clean. We ought to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe it, say yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were strong in the grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't even know his name yet, but they were strong in the grace. I don't know for certain, but I'm imagining that very likely they were thinking to themselves, we saw, we, we know what God did in Egypt. God was gracious to us to bring us out of this bondage out of Egypt and, and God parted the Red Sea and, and God led us through the wilderness and and we're strong in that grace. And we're not bowing. That, that stupid, ugly statue is not even worth to look at, much less bow to. We're not bowing. The three Hebrew boys, I'd love to know their ages. Many biblical scholars say that they were probably very young, maybe even like 13, 14 years old. Awesome, awesome story. They did not bow down. Daniel was strong in the grace. He wasn't giving up that prayer. Didn't matter what the government said or what they did. He wasn't going to stop praying even if it meant they were going to throw him in the lion's den. John the Baptist, he was going to be a preacher of righteousness. He was strong in the grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist says as he's preaching there at the Jordan. He was strong in that grace to know that there was a very likely, when people came against a king like that, it usually always meant that your head was going to roll. And it ended up being that fact for John the Baptist, but he was strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So is the case for Paul and Corey Tinboom. The examples of you, my goodness, that wonderful lady, that wonderful woman of God who stood strong, even, even praying for the salvation of the torturers while she watched her father and her sister die, strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, being the remnant that stands. And can I just give you the disclaimer, church? I want to lead people strong in this grace. Should this kind of persecution arise and all these things, I I want to lead people that are strong in this grace. I'm not interested in patty cake with Jesus. Come once a week just so that you feel good about the rest of yourself for the rest of the week because you went to church one day. I'm not interested in any of that. I want to lead people to be strong in the grace. 
I want people to be so strong in the grace around here that if this kind of persecution were, ari- were to arise, and then all of a sudden, I mean, preaching the gospel is already seen as hate speech, but when the hate speech gets illegalized, and then all of a sudden, they're locking up preachers all over the place, and they come in here, and a microphone falls to the ground. I want this place to be so strong in the grace that one of you men stands up, and you pick up the microphone, and you start preaching the gospel, and they come and lock you up. Another man comes up and picks up the microphone, and they keep preaching the gospel because we're strong in the grace. We know what Jesus has done, and we're not backing down from any of them. So you say, Pastor Ben, why, why are you preaching this now? And I believe that the reason the Holy Spirit has stirred this inside of me and, and to see, oh, I love his word, church. I love his word. It is a light unto our path. I love his word. I love it. And to see these patterns, to show us, it shows us this is how we're fed of our shepherd. It shows us what's next. It shows us how to live. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has stirred this inside of me to preach this to all of us so that we can all be fed of God's word this morning is because we are seeing this kind of persecution arise. Many of you have probably seen that video, maybe Perhaps you didn't know his name. His name is Artur Pulowski. He's a pastor in Canada. And if you've seen that video of, it was a number of police officers and the health department there in Canada where his church is, they showed up on an Easter morning, this past Easter, illegally they showed up, and he kicks them out, shouting at them. Do you guys, raise your hand if you've seen that. Yeah, a number of us have all seen that video of him kicking these people out. If they wanted to come in and sit, that would have been fine, but they were there to shut things down. Easter morning, he kicks them out. They were there illegally. And he even said, come back with legal proof. Come back with the warrant that you need to do this legally. You can't be here breaking the law in this way. So he goes on preaching, and they then illegally serve him papers that was like a warrant or a statement that he had to close down the church. It was basically thrown down. He never even saw the order that was given. It was like thrown down somewhere on the steps of the church. And him and his brother, this happened, go home and watch the YouTube videos of all this. Don't take my word for it. Go home today and watch all this. It's all on YouTube. Assuming they haven't taken it down yet, you can see all of this. Him and his brother are driving down the highway, four-lane busy highway, and they are pulled over by a number. I don't know how many. It looked like half a dozen to maybe 10 police cars and a SWAT team. Two preachers. Preacher and his brother. They pull him out of the vehicle in the middle of a four-lane highway and make him go like this, execution style like ISIS does before they chop someone's head off. They put him in handcuffs. They take him to jail where they were jeered, mistreated, but it doesn't just end there of being in jail. They then move them, the Canadian police move them to an undisclosed prison where they were literally tortured. They were put into a cell, a prison cell that was soaked in urine. They had the loudest, most vulgar music that you can possibly imagine. It was kept extraordinarily cold They were not given any mattresses. It was just a concrete pad, no blankets. They were cold. They were mistreated. The the guards were pretending to praise the Lord. They They were mocking them. They were jeering them. And this is supposedly all because of COVID. 
There's a tyrannical government church that's overreaching. And the Christian is living out his faith in a way that causes them to do and to not do certain things. And as such, there's also people in cahoots with this all over the place. And these Christians living out their faith, doing and not doing certain things because of their faith, are seen as dangerous, wicked criminals because they're choosing to be obedient to the Word of God. That's why I believe the Holy Spirit has stirred this up into me because last I checked, Canada is in our backyard, dear friends. So I want us to be strong. And and you you didn't come here to hear some Joel Osteen nonsense this morning. I want us to understand this this is true. This is a reality. This is what I believe the pattern of things as we have seen them go along. And I want us to be strong in the grace. I want us to stand up and be strong in this. There's there's no reason for us to fear and cower. We have got the direction. We've got God's word as our light to our feet. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us to encourage us. We've got to be strong in this thing, church. And and, and let me just commit to you right now. I just want to tell you that, that Jesus has won me. He has won my devotion and my affection. I don't want to give my worship to another. I am not interested in bowing down and giving my worship to another. I'm not interested in protecting my paycheck. You're going to hear when it comes time, around the time to, to vote someone in, when it comes down to these issues of, of abortion and not abortion there's no place for the Christian to support that kind of craziness. Make no mistake, church. Listen to me, and I'm telling you, when it comes time to support them and fund them, let's do it and let's support it the whole nine yards. But when it comes time to, to know what the truth is, we've got to know what the truth is in those kinds of things. Hear me and make no mistake. What Hitler did, listen to me, church, I I love you all, but listen to me. What Hitler did with machine guns, bulldozers, and gas chambers, Nancy Pelosi and the CEO of Planned Parenthood are doing it through the organization of Planned Parenthood. They were doing it, and they are doing it. It's dead wrong. Where are the preachers to stand up and say that that is wrong? It's dead, dead wrong. And I'm not going there, church. I'm not going there. So, so, so let him, let him be angry. Let, let him see me as a dangerous individual. I don't care. You know what the funny thing about that Pastor Pulowski guy? He even says in the interview, he says, the same community that's persecuting me, I'm feeding all their homeless people. But the church is feeding all of them. And they're the ones persecuting us as evildoers because we're these dangerous, wicked criminals. They're feeding all the people. They're not a dangerous criminal. They are seen as such. Let it be so. Let it be so. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is there for the wicked person. It's, it's, there, it's there, there for the jellyfish spine preacher. And you know that you did not tell your people what was right last November. The grace of God is there for you. The grace of God is there for the, is there for the modern day Hitlers. It's there for them. And we ought to pray that they are recipients of it because if not, if not, people like Nancy Pelosi and that lady who's the CEO of Planned Parenthood, they've got blood on their hands. They've got a lot of blood on their hands and the blood of Christ can wipe away their sin as far as the east is from the west, but they must repent or perish. And no, I'm not ashamed of saying those things. It's the truth and it is the truth of God's word. Would you stand with me? Pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, make us like soldiers. Make us like athletes. 
Make us like hardworking farmers. Lord, let that be true. Let us be equipped in our faith in that way because we are strong in the grace that You've given us. That, you're st- that we're strong in the grace that You've given this church. Father, raise us up. We have been weak. We are among a weak people. But you are still the God who can make dead bones come alive again. You are still the God who who can save the sinner because of your blood, because of the cross. Make us preachers of it. Make us proclaimers of it. Father, if you were to save the wicked people, if you were to save those who are murdering babies in the wombs, then, then praise the Lord. Would you bring them here, Lord, so that we can disciple them and love on them and show them how good you are. But if not, Lord, if not, if they'll continue in their murders, if they'll continue in this heinous crime of abortion, Snuffing out life in the womb, Lord. If they continue in it, and you and your foreknowledge know that that's all they're going to do, Lord. If they're not going to repent, Lord, then Lord, do what only you can do to wipe them off the face of this planet, Lord. Cut off their arms from doing that wickedness against these little ones. Make us preachers of this truth that wicked is still wicked and righteous is still righteous in today's world. Make us like soldiers. Make us like athletes. Make us like farmers. I pray in Jesus' mighty name and all the church says.